Hallelujah. Before I get to the message, uh, some people were asking me last week, if you weren't here, I felt like God told me to just give the entire offering that you gave to our missionary friend, uh, Jerry Garcia in Mexico, because he's raising money for this crusade that he's doing. And, and uh, I put out on Facebook, he, he gave us a shout out in the, in the video, but he was explaining about the crusade and stuff. It's going to be really great. But somebody asked me, how much did we give him? So we sent him a check for $5,000. So... I was really, really blessed, and, and so it's really awesome, and he was very, very thankful, and, uh, you know, so he, Jerry, I don't know, I just think we're, our church is connected to him somehow, and, and we just have a kindred spirit. He's a lot different than me, but, but how many of you know you can, you can connect with people that are different than you, and you can honor the grace and the anointing that's on their life? And uh, so that's, that's what we did. So I was really excited about that. All right, today I want to talk to you about the resurrection and particularly the glory of the resurrection. When we talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, a lot of times people have this question, who actually raised Jesus from the dead? Because there's three members of the Trinity, and who, who did the raising? <laughs> And was it the Spirit, was it the Son, or was it the Father? And if you go to church here very much, you'll know that usually the answer to questions like that is yes. yes. <laughs> in Romans 8:11, it says, If the Spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He'll also quicken your mortal body. That's what one translation says. Other translations say it different. But it's evident as you study the full counsel of Scripture that the Holy Spirit was involved in raising Jesus from the dead. Just like the Spirit hovered over the waters when God created the earth in Genesis 1. And then in John 10, verse 18, Jesus makes the statement, No man's going to take my life from me, but I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to pick it back up. So Jesus raised himself from the dead. Hallelujah. Nobody killed Jesus. You can't kill the Son of God. He gave up his life. The, the church has an unfortunate history, not so much anymore, but if you study church history, we had, we had a lot of anti-Semitism for a while, and it's because they thought this, that, that the Jewish people killed Jesus, but nobody killed Jesus. Jesus laid down his life, and then he picked it back up. Hallelujah. But also, and this is the one I really want to talk about today, in Romans 6, verse 4, says this, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that just like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the who? Father. The Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection is a Trinitarian event. All three members of the Trinity were involved, just like in creation. I think if you go back in the original creation, you can see all three members of the Trinity being involved. But I want to zone in or hone in on that phrase there. He says that Jesus, how was Jesus raised from the dead? This sounds like a question my son would ask. You know, he wants to know how. It's good in church to ask questions like that, not just, to, not just to accept stuff, but ask how. Jesus was raised from the dead, but how? 
And this verse says that if we can learn how Jesus was raised from the dead, that that enables us to walk in newness of life. You've already been made a new creation in Christ, but you need to learn how to walk it out. How many of you want to walk it out? Well, how you do that is, is based on this principle. How was Jesus raised from the dead? If you know that, you can figure out how to walk out in newness of life. That's what the verse says. Well, how was Jesus raised? It says, by the glory of the Father. Now, that's a hard phrase because anybody, anytime you talk about the glory, the, the trouble with preaching about the glory is nobody knows what it is. <laughs> because it's God. <laughs> and it's beyond our reckoning. This famous theologian, Hans Urs von Balthasar, he wrote this like giant volume about the glory of God. It's a whole bunch of books. It's literally about this big. And he talked about the glory the whole time. And then at the end, he said, but nobody knows what it is. So we're not going to give you the full explanation of this this morning, but I'm going to teach you one principle about what the glory is and how it can walk in, help you walk in newness of life. This is one part of the gospel. It's not the full counsel, but it does help you, I think, tremendously. And that is that the word glory in the Greek, it is the Greek word doxa, D-O-X-A. And if you look it up, it literally means opinion. And in the New Testament, it's always a good opinion that brings favor and esteem and praise and honor. You can translate this verse of Scripture then that Jesus was literally raised from the dead by the good opinion of the Father. That, that's really good. Once you, once you under, this is what the whole message is about. I'm going to try to explain that to you. On the cross, there was a war between two opinions. You'll remember what Jesus cried out. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? When he said that, he's crying out the cry of all humanity, which because of sin, believes wrongly, but we believed that God had abandoned us, forsaken us, that we were orphans. Sin teaches you this opinion that God is mad at you, that God is far away, that God doesn't want to talk to you, that God doesn't love you anymore, that He's abandoned you down here. Colossians says that we've been alienated in our minds by wicked works. Wicked works, sin, teach us in our mind that God is our enemy. Do they teach God that? The truth is, God has never been your enemy. God has never been the enemy of humanity. Satan has been the enemy, and we've been our own enemy. But God has always been coming towards us and loving us. I've taught this at length before. I'm not going to go over it again today. But, but Jesus, when He was on the cross, he, he was not actually abandoned by the Father. I know that sounds like a striking statement, but if you study the, the actual Scripture, he prophesied in John 16, 32, that, that everybody's going to be scattered from him, right? When did that happen? On the cross. And then he says, but I'm not alone. The Father's with me. If you study Psalms 22, which is what he's quoting when he said, my God, my God, when you, when you've, why have you forsaken me? If you go to the end, it's clear that even though he feels forsaken, he realizes he's not. 
When Jesus said that, what he's saying is, this is how I feel currently. This is the opinion that sin is teaching me. But there's another opinion. There's another word. There's another word that was spoken over the Father. And these two, these two statements did war on the cross and in the grave. And three days later, there was a shout from heaven. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that word raised Jesus from the dead. That deserved, that was, that was really exciting. That deserved a better. Thank you for those of you that are with me. There's, there's two opinions. These two opinions represent the, the two belief systems of, of any person. Are you an orphan or are you a beloved son or daughter? Physical death is a problem. I've prayed for some dead people. It's a problem, overcoming physical death. But if you're raising somebody from the dead, I, I think in some ways for God, that's the easy part. I don't know that there's an easy part. But I think the hard part, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you've ever felt genuinely alone, genuinely alone in the world, Buried beneath the weight of your failure, these feelings of rejection, all these sorts of feelings, these are the kinds of feelings that lead people to, to commit suicide, to enact physical death upon themselves, because they would rather experience that than the kind of death that is abandonment and loneliness. Jesus was raised from that state by the opinion of the Father. He literally, be, so you got to get this, He literally became sin on the cross. It says that, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became all of our problems. The sum total of all of humanity's problems. The Scripture actually says that the law was given to make sin exceedingly sinful. That's crazy. God says, you think your sin's bad, I'm going to make it worse. How can he make, why, why does the law make it worse? Well, it's, it's bad if you do something wrong. It's worse, you know, like with my kids, okay? It's bad if I'm in the other room and they do something they know they're not supposed to do. But it's worse if I'm standing there and I say, don't do this. <laughs> and then they do it, right? It makes their sin exceedingly sinful. <laughs> because at that point, it becomes direct rebellion. And the scripture says, rebellions as the sin of witchcraft. So God gives this law and he says, I'm going to make your sin exceedingly sinful. I'm going to sum up in this one being, Jesus. And he's going to become sin. Everybody's sin. And all of that sin is, going, is not going to alter for one moment, my opinion of him. And that's what raised him from the dead. That's what will raise you from the dead. 
That'll raise you from the dead. How is Jesus able to be resurrected, not just physically, but restored to intimacy with the Father? Because God's good opinion of him triumphed over the weight of the wretched sin of all humanity. Hallelujah. So let's read Romans 6, 4 again. It says in the middle there, it says that just like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, by the good opinion of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I want to suggest to you that until the statement, you are my beloved son and daughter or daughter in whom I'm well pleased, until that's the primary statement over your life, you will not walk in the fullness of the resurrection. So I want to break that statement down into three important parts and talk to you about them. Okay? So this is the, is everybody with me on the principle? Yeah. It's, it's I got to know what God says about me because that's what empowers the Christian life. Yeah. Too many Christians are trying to do a whole bunch of stuff for Jesus without knowing who they are. Yeah. And I'm not criticizing that. It's even noble, but it's, it's doomed to failure. The first part is that we're the beloved. We're the beloved. This is our primary purpose. If you ask God, why did you create me? So many people are asking God, why did you create me? And what they want to know is, what am I supposed to do? And God is saying nothing until you know this. You were created to be the object of my affection. You're created to be loved. And there's not a thing that you can do. God proved it on the cross. There's not a thing that you could do that would alter how he feels about you. I love my kids so much, and I, I, um, I, I want them to understand that my love for them has nothing to do with what they do. Nothing. It's totally divorced, totally detached. It has everything to do with their inherent worth as my children. And it's fun to talk with your kids about their future. And, you know, mine are really little. They're five, three, and, and one. And, but, but people have already prophesied over my oldest two and, and said things about their future. And, and, you know, and we talk about it with them and stuff. And my son, uh, he, he's in pre-K, and they asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? what do you want to be? And he said, I want to be a pastor and help my dad with the church. I want to help. He wants to help me move all this heavy stuff. And that's really, that's really beautiful, right? But I'm really cautious about that. And when he says things like that, I usually pull him aside and I say, son, now I want you to know that dad loves you and it has nothing to do with what you do. It has nothing to, and I say, son, you know, you don't have to help me with the church for me to love you. I say, son, you know, you, you don't need to, 
you don't need to be a pastor like me for me to love you. You know that, right? I say, yeah, Dad, I know. <laughs> I know. I say, you, you know Dad's love for you is totally divorced from what you do, right? I say, yeah, Dad, I know. But I want to help. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was thinking about that, and I was, I was remembering... I love, I love my job, so I'm not, I'm not complaining, but, but every now and then I'll get tired, I'll get, I'll get discouraged and stuff. And, and I've, I've had the father come to me and say, now, son, you know I love you, right? I say, yeah, yeah, dad. And I say, now, you know that, you know that my love for you is not tied to what you do. I say, I know, dad, I know. I'll say, you know you don't have to do this, meaning pastor of the church. I, I, don't, I don't know that many of you think that God's capable of saying something like that to a pastor, <laughs> but he is. He said, you, you don't have to do this. I'll love you just the same. And I say, I know, Dad, but I want to help. I want to help. That's really what it is. I just want to help. So not understanding, not understanding that truth often makes it hard to hear God about any secondary purpose because He has a Father's heart and He doesn't want to cloud the issue. Does that make sense? If, in, unless you settle that you're the beloved, God will be nervous to talk to you about specific activities that He wants you to do because He doesn't want you to conflate those activities with the reason that He loves you. Well, that's, that's important to understand. So we're the beloved. Number two, we're His children. That means we're part of His royal family. We are not orphans. We are not outsiders. You're wanted and you're known. And, you know, it's, I understood the love of God before I had kids, but having kids, I mean, it just really, really helps. And I love to hold Him and say, listen, there's nothing you could do that would make it to where you're not my child anymore. I love you. And I'm bigger than you. <laughs> so you could try to rebel, but you'll lose. Come on. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people in the world trying to prove to God that He doesn't love them. And I promise you, they're going to fail. Yes. Because the love of God is chasing people down. Yes. The love of God yes. is going after people. And you can't sin enough to make God change His mind about you. You can't fail enough to quit being somebody that He values. You're my beloved child. In, 
<laughs> in whom I'm well pleased. That's the last part. God is well pleased with you. Now, this is a hard one, I think, for people because when we think about God being pleased with us, we tend to look at our actions and our behavior and we think, well, how can God be pleased with me if I'm doing blank or if I've failed in this way? And what you've got to understand is that there's a difference between people's identity and their behavior. Right? Your identity and your behavior are not the same. You can do certain behaviors, and that doesn't shape your identity. Now, you want your behavior to line up with who you really are, but sometimes it doesn't. Here's the reality. My kids do a lot of behaviors that I'm not always pleased with. <laughs> but I am pleased with them. I'm always pleased with who they are. When I look at them, they're my children. They're beautiful to me. Doesn't mean I don't correct them. I have to. If I love them, I'll correct them. That's what the Scripture says. But I correct while affirming who they are. I'm pleased with who you are. I know who you are. And so, that's not, so, so, so that behavior doesn't line up. So I'm not going to let you do that. Because I, I as, your, as your dad, and our Heavenly Father is dad, he loves us too much to live at a level that's less than who we are. That's what correction's all about. It's not God beating you up and talking about what a terrible person you are. It's, it's the thing we say, you're way too awesome to be acting like that. Have you ever noticed that kids are weird? <laughs> they do all kinds of quirky behavior. And you know what? Then they grow up and they become adults and they still do all the quirky behavior. They just hide it. <laughs> they just do it in front of their spouse. <laughs> do you know that God likes all that stuff? Yeah. He likes your uniqueness. He's pleased with you. He's well pleased with you. Now, what you need to understand is that if you have a specific area of death in your life, like you're, you're struggling with, with some kind of sickness or something, or you're struggling with um, rejection, for example, that's a kind of death, right? God has a specific opinion about you that is the answer to that kind of death. For example, in the area of rejection, Ephesians 1.6 says that you've been made accepted in the Beloved. So again, there's a war between two opinions. Your sin and failure will teach you the lie that you're rejected, that nobody likes you, that you aren't special. But then there's another opinion which says that you're accepted and that you're loved. The, the opinion you choose to believe will, will it, it, the Scripture says to be carnally minded is what? Yeah. Death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want to walk in newness of life, focus on God's opinion of you. Yeah. Yeah. 
So when people reject you and are mean to you, you just say, well, thank God, God accepts me. God loves me. Maybe those people aren't for me. What's it matter anyway? 1 Peter 2.24 says, By His stripes you were healed. You might have some sickness in your body, but Jesus' opinion of you is that you're healthy. Walk in newness of life. Now the final part of the resurrected life is that we want to turn these personal realities into core values that shape how we treat people. So what's that mean? I've got, whole, I've got vertical grace coming towards me. I've got, I've got, I'm the beloved Son of God in whom God is well pleased. How do I know when I'm receiving that revelation? When it shows up in how I treat you. That's how I know. So there's no condemnation, but I can, I can judge my rel- level of revelation based on on how I'm treating people. And so, for example, because I'm accepted, I accept other people, even though they're weird and freak me out sometimes. (laughs) And so this is a core value I I try to have, and, and I don't do it perfectly, but I know I do it okay, because occasionally people in the church will say, How do you have grace for this other person in the church? And I'm like, well, I accept you. (laughs) (laughs) I have grace grace for where you're at. That means I got to have grace for where they're at. Because there's a lot of weird people in church. If you, have, if you hang around, you know. We're all in different places. But I'm accepted by God. And so I'm not really, I'm, I, I just am not bothered by people's weirdness very much anymore. Why not? Because I'm, when God solves the insecurity thing on the inside of you, it tends, other, other people's problems tend to stop freaking you out as much. I'm not now. I'm not. I, I need to grow in this more. But I'm just saying that's it's. I'm working on it, and we're all trying to work on it as a church. Yeah. Now, because he's pleased with us, we learn to enjoy other people's personalities and honor who they are. You remember, I said to you that God likes your weirdness. <laughs> that requires you to to enjoy the quirkiness in other people. Yeah. It does. We honor, honor the stuff that's different about other people. Letter C. Because we're part of His royal family, we sense the obligation to share an open invitation to be adopted in. So it's not, it's not that God's mad at us or something. It's this, the, the noblesse, noblesse. It's the obligation of the nobility. It's, it's, look, I've been adopted into the family of God. I want to share this with people. I want people to know that they're not orphans, that they're the beloved children of God, and that they can come into His family by believing on Jesus. 
And then lastly, because we're loved by the Father, we become whole fathers and mothers to those around us rather than elder brothers. Now, no, it's good to be an older brother. I'm talking about in the parable of the prodigal. So in the parable of the prodigal, the, the older brother looked with skepticism and jealousy on his younger brother. Is that right? So in the church, often there's elder brother syndrome, which is when we're, we're driven by jealousy and, and insecurity when we're looking at other people's giftings and stuff. So... Once I understand that I'm really loved for who I am by God, what that should empower me to do is, is be happy when other people succeed, yeah. even if they do better than me at, at the thing that I'm graced to do. Yeah. Now, that's the hardest part. It's easy to celebrate people that, uh, you know, have a different grace than you. It's not necessarily easy, but it's easier to celebrate people that have a different grace than you. The, the harder thing is when they're doing what you're doing at a higher level. <laughs> but what you've got to realize is that's not what makes you special. That's not what makes you loved. Amen. You're loved by God. God's well pleased with you. So what you do is you just look at them and you celebrate and you train your heart. And one of the ways you train your heart, sometimes you have to you give them money or something. You honor them in some way to train your heart to not be jealous. I want to I be, be a good father, and so I want to really raise up people that, that outdo me. Amen? True mothers and fathers are really driven by the selfless desire to see other people succeed. That's really what it is. How does that happen? Well, the only way to do that is to believe the truth about who you are in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Is that a simple message? Let's look at Romans 6, 4 one last time. You can come up, Casey. <laughs> Sorry. I did that faster than I expected. I'm not, I'll let you out, but I wanted to just. <laughs> the preacher went short. What a weird service. All right, anyway. <laughs> Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just like Christ was raised from the dead by the good opinion of, of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. It, it's saying this is a life walk. It's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong journey into the heart of God, into understanding who God is and how He feels about you. God spoke that phrase to me years ago, that I was His beloved Son in whom He's well pleased. And I'm still walking that out. I'm still trying to figure out what that means and, and how to let it influence how I treat people. But I really do. I, I want to live a life of honor towards other people and serve them well. I just want to help. My dad, how many of you want to do that? That's what the gospel looks like. It's not, it's not an obligation. It's a desire to help dad because he's so good. Let's all stand up.
Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know God as Father, you've never made a decision to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never been made a new creation, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I won't linger here very long. But if you say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today, if I'd go to heaven. I don't know if, if God really is my Father. If you're unsure about that, you can be sure. You can be sure. If there's anybody like that, I want you to just raise your hand real quick. Just so I see it. Just real quick. It won't take long. If there's anybody you're not sure. Okay. Right. Anybody else? Praise God. Anybody else? Okay, we're all going to just bow our heads. Those that raised your hands, we're all just going to pray together, all right? I don't want to embarrass anybody. God can meet you right where you're at. Let's all say this together. Let's say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins 2,000 years ago. I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day and that you're seated at the right hand of God. And right now, I give my life to you. I ask you to come into my heart and make me new. I receive your forgiveness and your cleansing right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you that my old man is dead. And from this day forward, I am walking in newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a shout. That's awesome. Hallelujah. You prayed that and you meant it. That was your first time. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been forgiven and redeemed forever. My prayer team could come down here real quick. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer for something in just a second, you can come down and pray with the prayer minister. If you'd like to meet Molly or I, we'll be right down here. Remember, if you're new and you want to come to the link, just sign up on your way out. Make sure you put your contact info so we can give you our address. I'm going to pray for everybody. And I hope you have a wonderful Easter. Father, thank you so much for what you did in Jesus. Thank you for your opinion, which towers over the opinion of sin and failure. Lord, we thank you that as we understand who we are in you, we are walking in newness of life. And we just bless and love you this morning. We celebrate your resurrection in Jesus' holy name. Amen.